Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to uh, tonight's class on Inferno. Uh, uh, this is session number 15 in our Mythgard Academy discussion of the of Inferno. Uh, and glad you guys could be with me here this evening. So I just looked up and realized my light went out. So I'm a little tiny bit darker than usual here tonight, but that's okay. I'll, I can live with it. Um, uh, so before I start tonight, just one quick announcement, uh, or really reminder, because I've already announced it, and that is that Mythmoot registration is open. We are taking registration for Mythmoot 8. Very excited uh, to... Um, uh, to get to uh, 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 you know see folks again, uh, Mythmoot was a lot of fun last year. Even though we were completely digital last year, and maybe again, we're not sure. Um, uh, we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, you can go to signumuniversity.org/mythmoot, uh, and you will find all the information there: the registration information, the um, uh, the uh, the the guests of honor, the, uh, the, well, we don't have a schedule yet. Um, of course, uh, exact schedule, but you can see where you can apply, uh, where you can propose, uh, 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 to do a presentation, um, and all kinds of things. Um, so, uh, so, so, uh, so there we go. I encourage you, uh, to look into that. Just a reminder, we are planning to, um, uh, make a final determination by the end of March as to whether or not we're going to uh, try to do any in-person component this year. We're not ruling it out. I don't know how likely it is, but we're going to, we're going to continue exploring that, seeing how things unfold. Um, we're eager to get back to in-person moots as soon as we can, um, but we'll see what happens. In any case, our, uh, our digital options are going to be open no matter what. Um, so we encourage people to sign up for uh, Mootcast and Moot Hub now. Uh, and uh, then of course we, you know, maybe there'll be an upgrade later. Maybe there won't. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Karita, I agree. Karita says, uh, we like the dark dark for dark business. And if hell isn't dark business, I don't know what is. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Um, so anyway, uh, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna continue. We were in the, uh, uh, the pouch of the Simonists, uh, last time, which you can still see over my shoulder here. Uh, those with their feet sticking up in the air and their feet on fire. Um, but, um, yeah, well, that's interesting. Jocelyn says, um, uh, is there info yet about the book after Inferno? Well, that's an interesting question, because, of course, uh, on the that what we have been doing, um, uh, of course, you know, we've been doing Tolkien every other uh, uh, session. So we're sort of scheduled to go on having finished Morgoth's Ring uh, to the War of the Jewels, uh, volume 11 uh, of the uh, history of Middle Earth after this. Um, but um, but we'll see there. I, I, I'm. Not a hundred percent sure. We'll 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 see uh, what happens there. There are some other uh, possibilities that I'm talking through uh, with some folks, um, but so we'll, we'll we'll definitely have some more uh, discussion about that uh, afterwards. Um, yeah, Serena. Well, no, Serena. We couldn't go straight to Purgatorio. Uh, Purgatorio didn't hasn't uh, won an election yet. We could, of course, go on to Purgatorio, uh, but uh, that's 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 set. That's a separate book, uh, you know. In uh, as 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 we've defined it. Um, so uh, yeah, no, that's not legal. That's not legal. But we can uh, we can we can see what we're doing. Um, 
We're talking about a year from now, at least, Tomas. Not so bad as that. Not so bad as that. Although uh, we're not going at quite the pace I'd originally hoped. We are nevertheless not. Uh, uh, we're, we're well over halfway through already. Uh, so uh, uh, we're, we're fine. We should be uh, only in the 20s, I think, uh, in our... Um, uh, we've, we've been averaging about a canto and a half uh, a, a night, basically. Uh, so, you know, that's um, uh, where around, I suspect, where we're likely to end up. Uh, and that's going to put us, as I say, somewhere in the mid-20s for sessions. So only only a couple more months. We'll be good. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention, though, um, there's been a change... Okay, this is going to shock nobody. There's a change since the originally posted schedule. But more importantly, not a a change to the reading schedule, which shocks nobody, but rather a change to my schedule. Originally, I was not going to be able to be here next week, but I am going to be here now. So we will have... I'm going to change the the GoToWebinar thing. Um, We're going to do... um, we're We're going to be able to have class next week, so... I wanted to make sure to mention that at the beginning, and I'll try to remember to mention it again at the end. Um, uh, we're we are going to do uh, class next Wednesday night. So um, anyway, okay, all right. Uh, let's um, <laughs> let's let's get back to the Simonists here. All right. This is the passage we finished. We know we almost finished with this last time. Oh, that's right. And I wanted to apologize. Um, uh, this is, weren't we, was this the passage I was just, I'm, I'm trying, all my broadcasts are running together, but I'm pretty sure that I was in the middle of finishing this up when all of a sudden my internet went out and I cut off in mid-sentence last time, as I seem to recall. We had a very abrupt uh, end of, uh, of, 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 <laughs> of our discussion last week. Um, yeah, that was, uh, we, I just had like an, an arbitrary internet outage, which didn't last that long, but it lasted about 10 minutes and I was like, I went all Aragorn on it, and I was like, I shall take this as a sign that it's time to... I was, I was like, it's just a couple minutes away from ending class anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, so sorry about the... Uh, rather, I figured by the time my internet came back, I'm like, it's all right. It's now like, you know, was way after midnight, and, and I figured uh, most folks were gone already. So I just left it. But anyway, so we'd gotten all the way through, except we hadn't been, uh, we hadn't talked about the breaking of the basins. So we were looking at the way in which he's depicting simony as, as an inversion, right? This is all about the upside down here uh, in, in 19 and Canto 19. Uh, th- these, uh, those who have been convicted of simony, right? Uh, uh, who have been sent down here to the, among the simonists. Um, we've got the, the, the baptismal fonts, right? Or excuse me, the holes in the ground that are the same shape as, are the same size as baptismal fonts. So they are, they are recalling baptismal fonts. So you've got the, um, the, them shoved in their head first, uh, the mostly popes, right? Shoved in their head first. Um, and so we're looking at this like the inversion, the inversion of baptism, right? Where baptism is the, the means by which individual people enter into the body of Christ. And, uh, and then the fire descends from heaven upon their feet, right? Uh, instead of upon the head, as, as you know, in Pentecost, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter two, fire descends from heaven onto the heads of the apostles. And that's the moment when uh, the, the church begins, basically. Um, uh, so you have those two things, baptism and 
uh, Pentecost, these two kind of baptizing moments when the uh, when the the apostles are baptized by fire from above, uh, and when uh, the uh, and when the infant, of course, is is baptized with water uh, to enter into the church, um, those two things are sort of combined, but inverted. It's death instead of uh, uh, of birth. It's the feet instead of the head. Uh, it's a form of torture instead of. Um, we even have the oil. Like we're, uh, we're talking about the, the description of the fire on the feet as if they were coated in oil, right? Like the uh, uh, the, uh, the the consecrating oil, uh, which is put not on the feet uh, but on the head uh, of the uh, uh, of of priests when they're ordained. Um, yeah. Uh, Gerald says, I looked at the fonts last week. I don't see how anyone could drown. Um, yeah, I, I, an, an infant, I think, is the one that would uh, uh, that would dr- that could drown. It's it would be hard to drown in a baptismal font. Um, but um, anyway, so. Um, uh, yeah, so, Stephen, I do agree. We have what seems to be an irony, which at least sort of rhymes with these other ironies and inversions that we're getting in here. That is the idea of somebody drowning to death in a baptismal font is intensely ironic. Right. Um, and, um, uh, him saving the life of a person who is drowning in a baptismal font. So the, like, so let's kind of think of the elements, um, because that, that isn't, it's a weird ending. Right. It's a weird ending. It all works pretty well, um, especially in the context, right, of the like divine artistry uh, of all these things um, that he's praising in those first three lines. Um, And, you know, the way that we're looking at these uh, these ironies and paradoxes and inversions that are being associated with simony here, because, of course, the Simonists themselves are turning things inside out. They're turning things upside down. They are supposed to be leading people towards salvation, but the act of simony does is not just them leading people in the other direction. It's not just them deceiving people and leading them towards damnation instead of salvation. It's 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 a sharper inversion than that. Um, the act of simony is perverting the very sort of mechanism that has been established by God through the church. Right has been established by God as the mechanism to bring people towards salvation, um, and that very that very mechanism is itself being turned on its head, being used instead as in, instead of as a way to serve God's servants, um, it is being used as a way to exploit them uh, uh, for your own personal gain. So the, again, the way in which simony is this kind of deep. Um, perversion, deep inversion of the entire spiritual process is clearly what Dante's picking up here. But as we said, um, uh, it's um, uh, he ends with he he segues into this personal anecdote, right? We're all it was all I was about to say it was all going swimmingly, but you know that's uh, probably shouldn't say it that way until he refers specifically to the baptismal fonts in San Giovanni, um, which is, is fine. Okay. Uh, gives us a more concrete image, perhaps, especially if we're familiar with, if we're local and familiar with those. Um, but then it's that final, um, uh, that final set, right? And one of these, not many years ago, I broke for someone who was drowning in it and let this be my seal to set men straight. Um, okay. So he, 
was accused. I mean, it's, he's making it sound like he was accused of some kind of, you know, act of impiety or sacrilege or something that he, um, you know, uh, and of course we know he's been saying that he's been falsely accused of many things during the course of his own banishment. Um, but he received this wrongful reputation, right? Um, uh, but he did this, he only did it, right? Yes, he did smash, uh, uh, he did smash one of the baptismal fonts in San Giovanni, but he did it in order to save the life of somebody who is drowning. Um, so he's trying to set the record straight. And you know, again, I said from apostrophe to anecdote, right? It's it, it's this whole section, this passage that I'm quoting here, starts with this extremely lofty address to God Himself, right? And then all the way down to self-justifying personal anecdote, um, which be, which has the initial feeling of a kind of non sequitur, right? Like, okay, wait, this did not go in the direction, this did not end up anywhere near where I thought we were headed, right? Um, and um, uh, anyway, so the, um, but I don't, but it's not, it's clearly not irrelevant, right? There are several ways in which this seems to me really, um, uh, quite interesting and, and in many ways very, very much sort of in keeping. Um, what he did, right? Think about what he did for a second. An act of sacrilege, right? Shattering a baptismal font, um, which he did in order to save the life of a person. So by him raising his hand to strike against, you know, in a sense, strike against one of the sacraments of the church, right? In order to save life. Um, and so that itself is another kind of inversion, right? Um, if you come in, you shatter, you know, if you if, if, if as an act of vandalism, you came in and shattered uh, the baptismal fonts, right? Um, it would be, you know, an act of sacrilege against that church. But but more like symbolically speaking, it's as if you are trying to stop the mechanism of salvation, right? And these sacraments, these sacraments are, you know, make no mistake, the sacraments are the mechanisms of salvation. Like, that's that's the system. That's how it works. That is what God has ordained through his church. Um, so if you are striking out against baptism, if you are raising your hand against baptism and shattering the baptismal fonts, you are standing in the way, essentially, right, of baptism. You are preventing souls uh, from being saved and entering the church. So it has the look of someone who has committed a sacrilegious act and in doing so undermined the sacraments of the church. But Dante says, no, I need to set men straight on this, right? I did that because someone was drowning in it, right? That, like, this was not me acting against the sacrament. This was me saving life instead of allowing life to be destroyed. And again, now notice, therefore, the parallel between, like, the the kind of image that Dante is fighting against, um, this whole, the blasphemous, uh, sacrilegious image, right? Because notice that, like, what he's doing, he sets up the false understanding of himself as a parallel to the popes, to the Simonist popes. They are the ones who have attacked 
the sacraments through their simony, by taking money, right? By, uh, by utilizing the sacraments themselves as a mechanism for personal gain, to enrich themselves. That's what simony is, right? By doing, they are the ones who have been sacrilegiously striking against that, undermining these very things. So this image of the shattering of the baptismal font is like an image of what the popes themselves do, right? Uh, except again, you know, so Dante's kind of taking that thing that he's been accused of and he's kind of flipping it back towards them. He's like, yes, that is a horrible thing, isn't it? But actually, uh, you know, I, uh, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, he 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 really kind of reverses it on them. Um, and he, of course, was saving lives. And that's what the popes, that's what the prelates are supposed to be doing, uh, right, is saving lives through uh, the sacraments. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't understand it, David. That also would be my impulse, too, if a baby were drowning in a, uh, um, a stone font, I would be also tempted to reach in for the baby rather than break the font. Um, but that symbolically doesn't work nearly so well, I think, uh, as this. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm not making any comment on the historicity of Dante's claim, uh, what did or did not happen in the Church of San Giovanni. Uh, but um, uh, but anyway, uh, the the way that it sort of symbolically functions uh, in the co in the Simonist context uh, does, you know, seem uh, to me relatively clear uh, with this, inter especially with this interaction with the sacraments. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Devorah, I, I, I can imagine there might be a divorce, like maybe it was like wedged in somehow. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I'm not saying there couldn't be a circumstance in which that would not be exactly the right and best way to, uh, uh, to solve the problem. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, let's keep going. Out from the mouth of each hole there emerged a sinner's feet, and so much of his legs up to the thigh, the rest remained within. Both souls of every sinner were on fire. Their joints were writhing with such violence they would have served, they would have severed withes, uh, withes and ropes of grass. As flame on oily things will only stir along the outer surface, so there too that fire made its way from heel to toes. Um, and there's the reference to the oil, which I already mentioned. Um, again, the 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 uh, burning as if it is as if it were something coated with oil, which again recalls the consecrate the oil of consecration um, uh, for these who are all priests. I mean, it's almost impossible to commit the act of simony if you're not a priest. Uh, so uh, that's that's kind of yeah. It's actually an interesting question. Is it possible? for a lay person to be guilty of simony. I suppose, in theory, you could probably work out how to do it, but it's, um, um, it's not, you know, sort of uh, normal. Um, and no, Serena, I do not believe that the sole pun works in Italian. Um, 
I I indulged I indulged in the soul pun uh, here, but I don't believe it. I was I was I was kind of looking at that, and unless I'm wrong, and again I I don't really have Italian, so as I've been admitting all the way all the way along, someone who knows Italian better uh, could um, uh, perhaps correct me on this, but um, uh, but I don't think that it works, um, but. Um, yeah. Could you try to bribe your way into the priesthood? Yes, but yes. I guess if you attempt to bribe your way into the priesthood and fail, you're still technically a lay person and guilty. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, of course, Stephen, you're right. Simon Magus himself wasn't wasn't part of the clergy. Uh, so I guess we have one example right uh, right in front of us there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I um, as I said, I'm pretty sure the soul, I don't think the soul pun works um, uh, in uh, in Italian. Okay. Now, I just have a question. I don't think I've ever really understood. So I get the upside down business, right? The inversion. That all makes sense to me. And the image of the burning feet, like the, you know, the, the, the sort of punitive version, right? This sort of inversion of the fire from heaven descending on the apostles. That all works for me. Like I can, I can fit that all together into the, the whole simony thing. Um, but the burning feet never really made sense to me in a sense. Uh, as I said, the inversion thing I get, what I don't get is the, well, I don't know, maybe I'm making too, maybe it is enough. Maybe that inversion is enough. But it just, the this description in particular, with the way that he describes them sort of thrashing around. Oh, Stephen, you might be right. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. Um, okay, because I saw, I was going to, what, what I was, what I was saying is, as a what we have seen in the punishments so far, right? The, the, specifically, like the torments that people are undergoing, right? Um, the torments that people are undergoing uh, tend to be, as we've seen, a sort of perpetuation, um, a perpetuation of the sin, right? Um, uh, kind of like unleashing them to, uh, you know, continue the damage on themselves that they were doing uh, by sinning uh, through their sins. Um, and that's the element, again, that although like as an image, the popes upside down with their feet, their burning feet up in the air made sense to me um, as like a metaphor, in a sense, for simony. It worked. It's, it's always worked for me as a punishment in this way, right? As a, you know, how is the torment connected with their, um, with their sin exactly, uh, was a little bit less clear. Um, 
Yeah, good. Oh, awesome. Stephen Michael, uh, Stephen cover Michael Dennis and Sarah Duncan all in a row have some really, really great points. All, and I, I think I agree with all of you. Um, uh, all three of them um, are recalling Bible passages that seem relevant to the foot question. Um, uh, one is Michael Dennis is saying it could be an inversion of foot washing in some way. Um, a really important, uh, so prominent passage uh, in the Gospels, uh, which has Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, and he is enjoining them to wash the feet of others as well. Uh, and that foot washing ceremony, that sort of very humble act of service to wash the feet uh, of, uh, of, of, of others, is one of the things that is kind of used to characterize that essentially the priestly duty the like to to be a minister right to be a, which means the word minister means servant um and I, I sorry by the way i went to give a little gloss on something that i said earlier um i said that the the you know the 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 prelates the, their, their their job is to be the servant of god's servants um rather than trying to you know cash in on god's servants Servant of God's servants is an English translation of one of the titles of the Pope. Servus servorum. Uh, servus servorum dei, the servant of the servants of God. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's how it is understood. So that concept um, of foot washing, right, that you, you know, to wash the feet of others, that, that concept uh, of selfless, humble, service towards others, which foot wa which the washing of feet with water represents, uh, and the way in which that is inverted by, you know, the, 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 the popes who are guilty of simony or the prelates, the, the, the clergy who are guilty of, of, cause I don't think a hundred percent popes in this whole pouch. Uh, but, um, I don't think there've been enough popes to fill this entire pouch. Um, but, um, but anyway, the uh, simonist, uh, uh, priests are, Again, inverting that relationship, right? Where they are supposed to be serving, they are, you know, where they're supposed to be giving their taking, uh, where they're supposed to be, um, uh, you know, humbly seeking the good of others. Instead, they are proudly uh, seeking the good of themselves. And so to have the uh, water with which they are supposed to be bathing the feet of others instead turned to fire that is uh, uh, coating um, their feet. Um, that seems to me very relevant, um, uh, 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 Michael. And Stephen, I agree. Surely not every pope. I, I, I do suspect that there are fewer than 100% of the popes uh, who, uh, uh, who end up here in this, uh, in this pouch. Um, but anyway, okay, so that's one of the things. Uh, Stephen had also said before, uh, um, in uh, thinking about feet, We'd been talking about the armor of God when when uh, Dante's belt got chucked into the abyss. Remember, we were talking about that very allegorical al uh, armor of God passage from Ephesians and the belt of truth, right? Which seems certainly relevant to the fraud question uh, and even the allegory issue that was being raised um, uh, uh, surrounding that. Um, in that same allegorical passage, there's a there's uh, uh, there's a foot reference in there too. You've got the shield, you've got this uh, uh, the sword, you've got the the belt of truth that we mentioned. You've got the breastplate, you've got the helmet, um, but you also have uh, 
shoes. What is strapped to your feet uh, is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, and this, I think, is also connected to the other passage that Sarah Duncan was remembering, um, that uh, uh, it, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Um, yes, yes, uh, that the feet are associated through both of those passages, uh, uh, feet are associated with bringing bringing the gospel, bringing the good news, bringing uh, the good news of peace to others. Again, that's the work that, you know, among other things, priests are meant to be doing. Um, uh, and um, now their feet uh, are, uh, their burning feet <clears throat> are all that we see. Um, uh, the, I don't know, that doesn't seem like their feet are especially beautiful at this point. Um, uh, but once again, we see this kind of inverted. So in these things, these connections to, uh, you know, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and, you know, the beautiful feet bringing good news and the foot washing thing, Michael, that you were saying there, I can see like, just as you have not only neglected, but, but reversed these things, right? Um, you've not only failed, right? I mean, to fail would be one thing, um, but you have, um, exploited, right? You have yourself deliberately perverted uh, the role that you were supposed to have. Your feet have done the opposite of what they were supposed to do. Uh, and so that helps me understand the burning feet sticking up, I think, uh, a great deal better. Um, yeah. Well, Devar, the shoving down, I, I think we'll get to the shoving down. But yeah, that's a that's a tricky, that's a, that, that's a tricky bit. <laughs> Let's keep going. Here comes Possibly the most controversial passage in the entire... That is the most risque thing that Dante says. No, I don't think... Well, people could have different opinions about this, of course, though. But it's hard for me to imagine saying something much more risque than this on several levels. Um, Dante addresses the feet, right, of uh, one of the dudes. Whoever you may be, dejected soul, whose head is downward, planted like a pole, my words began, do speak if you are able. I stood as does the friar who confesses the foul assassin, who, fixed fast, head down, calls back the friar and so delays his death. And he cried out, Are you already standing, already standing there, O Boniface? The book has lied to me by several years. Are you so quickly sated with the riches for which you did not fear to take by guile the lovely lady than to violate her? And I became like those who stand as if they have been mocked, who cannot understand what has been said to them, and can't respond. Okay, are you already standing, already standing there, O Boniface? The Pope, the dude who's planted like a pole in the ground is the previous Pope. Okay, the Pope, the, 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 uh, the, the the guy for whom the uh, the the current pope Dante's particular friend right the one who is Dante's big enemy as we've talked about before Boniface uh, is of course the name of that current pope so his predecessor is already down here in the circle of the Simonists and his predecessor hearing the pitter pat of feet approaching says oh Boniface is that you you're early right. The Boniface, the Pope, is still alive. And so Dante, in this passage, is in fact saying that the current Pope is destined for not only, not, not, not only hell, but here, 
right? The, the, the previous Pope has just been waiting for Boniface to show up. Uh, and it's only a matter of time, uh, before he gets down there. The, as I say, this, I, I don't think there's much more outrageous that Dante says, because this is not, it's not just a question of Dante, um, you know, saying that the sitting Pope is definitely going to hell, right? Uh, that would be controversial under any circumstances, but keep in mind, um, keep in mind that, um, uh, keep in mind that, uh, this would be presumptuous and outrageous to say of anyone, right? You can't know, you can never know that, eternal destiny of anybody before they die, right? Because they all, there is always the chance, even Boniface, right? Who, even if he is just as bad as Dante believes that he is, right? He's not dead yet. He could still repent. It, it could happen, right? It could happen. And of course, in theory, it's Dante's job to hope that that happens, um, even to pray for that to occur, um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, Stephen says, I'm sure this was all taken in good humor. Yeah, no, I'm sure Boniface, uh, saw the funny side of all this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, and, um, As I've said before, you know, <laughs> I sometimes used to refer to this passage when um, I've, I've talked before. I mean, I, I know I talked weeks ago about the whole like people getting in trouble for criticizing the church thing and how modern people always assume that like the power of the medieval church was like absolute and, and you could never put a foot wrong or else you'd get burned at the stake. So not true. Um uh, the medieval church was so not as monolithic as it wanted to be, um, and especially as some of the popes tried to make it. Um, but, um, I mean, this is... Uh, so, yeah, whenever people would say, like, isn't Chaucer going to get in trouble for saying that one thing that he just said, you know, in criticizing uh, priests or monks or something like that, um, I would sometimes refer to this passage in which Dante uh, condemns to hell the sitting pope. Uh, and, be like, you know, see, like, yeah, yeah. And uh, Dante didn't get burned at the stake, so there you go. He was already banished, right? But, um, uh, but yeah, that Sylvia, yes, he's... Not afraid of the Pope. Dante feels the strength of his convictions here, right? It is clearly the Pope who is in the wrong. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so David, yes, the, the souls in hell know the future. Um, remember, we talked about that. We talked about that with the heretics, I believe. It was the heretics who cued us into this, that they don't know what's happening. In the, they only see the future and they don't see the present, right? <clears throat> that, anyway, was what we were told when we were meeting Cavalcante de Cavalcante, uh, who was worried about his son Guido and didn't know if his son Guido was dead or not. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway... Um, Yes, the implication was that the, 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 what we were told was that the future was revealed to them. And there are several people, I mean, 
Dante's been getting prophecies off of a bunch of folks uh, that he's been that he's been meeting. Um, in fact, it's one of his favorite topics of conversation uh, with uh, the damned souls that he has been interviewing, uh, certainly over the last, uh, uh, you know, the, the last maybe 10 cantos. Uh, so. So, yes, their knowledge of the future is some, and it's it's not like, you know, it's not like magical. They 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 do receive this from the. Uh, um, uh, from the divine omniscience as part, it seems, of their punishment, as part of the consequences of being in hell. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Serena, this, is, this brings us to your very interesting point. I'm not going to discuss it fully because we're not to Canto 20 yet, but yeah, Serena's saying... Um, we get between Canto 19 and 20, we get this sort of pivot. Um, Simon Magus, as I've said, is the, you know, Simon, the, the mage, Simon, the sorcerer, uh, is, uh, is the dude after whom the sin of simony is named. Um, and, um, Serena is pointing out that in these two consecutive, uh, uh, Bolgia, you know, these two consecutive pockets, um, we get like first the Simon and then the Magus. Um, uh, he's emphasizing the simony element here with the popes, and then he's emphasizing the Magus bit, the sorcery bit, the divination bit in the next uh, in the next canto, in the next uh, in the next pouch. Uh, and so Serena's question was: um, Is there any implication that the popes could almost as easily slide over into the next pouch if they're practicing Christianity, as if it's a mechanistic type? of magic. Um, it's really tricky, Serena, in so many ways, because of course, if there's somebody who's guilty of mechanistic magic, if there's any, somebody who's guilty of, um, you know, a, a sort of, uh, pagan foretelling, it's Dante here, right? Um, uh, the the and again we'll come back to this when we're looking at Canto Twenty, um, but it's one of the things that's really interesting to me about this whole section. Um, I I don't th I've I've talked before about how sometimes people will sort of flippantly say, and of course this is one of the very very most famous examples of this. Um, that Dante just likes to, he just puts all of his political enemies in hell, right? That it's, it's, uh, you know, a, a tour of the underworld is particularly useful when you can use it, uh, in that kind of way, uh, for political invective. Um, and again, like saying that the, that the, the, you know, the current Pope is gonna end up in hell is, is, uh, is, it is a big fat example of that. Yeah. But what I was saying about that before is that I think you know, that's way too simplistic a view of things. It's, he's, he's not just doing that. Um, and one of the primary reasons, one of the primary ways in which I say it's, it's too simplistic um, is that he is, I think that Dante is thoroughly and consistently way too self-aware for that. Um, he is not just somebody who's uh, and, and that was the context, I'm pretty sure, in which I brought this up. Um, 
Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure I brought it up when we were talking about Filippo Argenti and his condemnation of Filippo Argenti, who is his political enemy. Um, uh, and yet I was emphasizing the way in which in doing that, in the very act of doing that, he was implicating himself as well. I think that Dante is much is very rarely does this kind of thing. Um, he's not often hypocritical accidentally would be another way of saying it. Um, so I, for one, have a hard time believing that Dante makes this deterministic sounding statement here uh, next to the writhing feet of the previous pope um, immediately next door to the place where the determinists go uh, when they um, when they die um, and is like completely oblivious uh, to uh, to that um, yeah yeah um, I don't think I don't think that that happens by accident. I think he's much more self-aware. And remember Gerion. You remember what we were looking at in that whole. You know, we spent a whole night talking about that canto, um, his ride on Gerion's back, and his comparing of himself to Phaeton to Icarus. And um, I, I, I think he's aware of the dangers that he's running and of the problems uh, that exist here. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting, David. That's a really fascinating comment. David uh, Atley says, is, it part, is part of this determinism maybe due to how difficult it is to repent of simony? You can't be forgiven if you're continuing the sin. Yeah, and I would add, David, on top of that, you can't be forgiven if you have perverted the mechanism of forgiveness, which is the big problem with simony. Um, yes, Yes. How are you going to repent when repentance is the way you make your money? Right. Um, you know, that's that's right. That's the problem. Um, and so is he pointing that out that like basically Boniface through his simony um, has painted himself into a metaphysical corner? Um, how how is how is a simonist to repent? How is one who has undermined the mechanism of repentance itself going to go about repenting? Um, yes, yes. And William, absolutely, this is making indulgences more and more uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. It wasn't just Martin Luther who was uncomfortable uh, with, uh, uh, with indulgences. Uh, this is something, by the way, that's, I mean, again, Martin Luther gets a lot of press about this, and understandably so. Uh, it, he, this, that was not... Martin Luther didn't say a new thing. Martin Luther said a thing particularly strongly at the right place at the right time is what happened. Um, there was almost nothing Martin Luther said that hadn't been being said for centuries before Martin Luther. Um, this exact, the exact concern that I'm describing, the problem of, uh, of Simonists, essentially, um, uh, it's not the terminology this particular poet uses. But anyway, uh, the problem that 
this creates with the undermining of uh, the 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 vehicle of repentance itself of of penitence itself um, was a major theme of one of my other favorite Middle English poems, Pierce Plowman, um, which was written within decades of uh, of the Commedia. Um, it was early, um, well, a few decades, uh, first half anyway of the 14th century. Um, and he is super, super concerned. Friars are his deal. He's really worried about friars, which ironically Dante uh, compares himself to a friar. This is him leaning down, right, like a friar listening to the confession um, of, uh, of a foul assassin, of a murderer, uh, right, who is upside down um, and um, uh, is, uh, is, is, calling back the friar, right, to try to delay his death. Um, uh, anyway, friars uh, friars were William Langland's big concern. But the issue was the same, uh, uh, David, that you were pointing to. Like, how do you repent when repent when penitence itself, uh, when the, 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 like the sacrament of, um, of confession and of uh, absolution is, is, has been has been wrecked, you know, has been undermined. Um, and that is, you know, the Simonists are, are doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Let's keep going. Then tell me now, how much gold did our Lord ask that St. Peter give to him before he placed the keys within his care? Surely the only thing he said was, follow me. And Peter and the others never asked for gold or silver when they chose Matthias to take the place of the transgressing soul, that is, Judas. Stay as you are, for you are rightly punished, and guard with care the money got by evil that made you so audacious against Charles. And were it not that I am still prevented by reverence for those exalted keys that you held within the happy life, I'd utter words much heavier than these. Because your avarice afflicts the world, it tramples on the good, lifts up the wicked. Um, your avarice afflicts the world. Simony is a big, big problem. Um, again, remember the imagery of, you know, which we've mentioned before of the, the church as the bride of Christ and remember, you know, Serena, the proximity of this, um, uh, of this pouch, not only to the pouch of the diviners next door, but of the, uh, the panders, uh, and seducers, right. A couple pouches over, um, there is, uh, a very, clear parallel there as well, that they have, um, uh, if not seduced the Bride of Christ themselves, have at least been pandering. Uh, they've been pimping uh, the Bride of Christ. Um, it's, uh, it's a big deal. Um, the, of course, the references to St. Peter. St. Peter uh, is, you know, St. Peter the Apostle is the first pope. Um, uh, St. Peter is very, very closely uh, uh, associated with the Pope. And so going back to St. Peter uh, twice, you know, St. Peter was never asked for money by Jesus uh, when he was given, uh, you know, the, the, the commission that he was given. And Peter himself never asked of money uh, from others. And he gives the example, not of Simon Magus, um, 
which, if I'm remembering correctly, was Peter who was rebuking Simon Magus, um, but of Matthias, uh, who in chapter one of Acts is the replacement uh, apostle uh, chosen to fill Judas's spot uh, after uh, Judas dropped out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Serena says, glad he's holding back here. I know it is. It's, uh, um, yeah, I can't help but myself be tempted to say, okay, um, so what, what would the heavy words look like, right? What exactly is he holding back here? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Devorah, that's a really fascinating point. Devorah says, I think this is only the second time he's rebuked a shade. And we agreed that the first time he did it, it was sketchy. That was the Filippo Argenti one that we were that I was just referring back to the 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 wrathful dude whom he wanted to see who's whom he was delighted to see soused in the broth, right? Um, and uh, divorce says the first time it was sketchy. This time it doesn't seem sketchy. Um, no, not in the same way. I mean, it's it's and certainly Devorah, not in the way that it was then, right? The sketchiness. Uh, the first time with Filippo Argenti was all about the way in which he was mirroring Filippo Argenti, right? Like, I'm going to get really angry in the circle of the wrathful is a bad look, right? That just, that can't be a good sign. I'm sorry, it just can't, right? Um, I'm going to try to, like, lunge forward and beat up the person who's, like, violently flailing out and beating up other people. Like, it's, yeah, like, that's, that's, that's not good. He's not implicating himself of simony here, right, in the same way. So, like, that's... I agree. He is sort of standing aloof. The one way, Devorah, in which it's... I don't know. Can something be a little bit parallel? Maybe it can be. A tiny bit parallel is the connection to the friar that he mentioned before, right? Again, what's depicted here in this image, Dante's posture as he is leaning down and, you know, leaning over and listening, he is he is standing and leaning down and listening to the Pope like a friar who is listening to the confession of a doomed criminal, right? And so, in other words, he is adopting to the dead Pope a clerical uh, position, right? A clerical, a clerical role. Um, uh and so that's a little bit interesting, I think, Devorah, in this context, uh, because, again, it's a it's a person hearing confession, right? The friar hearing confession um, that um, that he is comparing himself to. Um, so. Yeah, I'm going to hear the confession of the pope. Right. And then he gives him a lecture. Right. You know, then he tells him, like why that thing that you did is very, very bad, right? Um, he is adopting a at least priest-like role here with the previous pope. Um, and that is kind of interesting. Now, you know, Devor, he's not implicating himself of simony in the same way. Is he? I don't think so. I mean, he's not taking money, obviously. No one's greasing his palm here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Devorah points out both times Virgil heartily supports him. Yes, yes. Though I have the same reaction that you do, Devorah. I deeply just... When 
Virgil endorses him the last time, it made me doubly suspicious, right? This time, Virgil's commendation doesn't seem weird uh, in the same way. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think him getting royalties from the publisher is uh, uh, necessarily counts here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Stephen, yeah, it's true that confession is supposed to lead to absolution, uh, you know, uh, penance and absolution um, rather than condemnation. Uh, but of course. It usually happens outside of hell. Right? I mean, Dante can't give absolution uh, to a damned soul, um, uh, even if or especially if it was the Pope. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. But 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 I mean, you're right. You're right. In that way, it's I mean, it's not an exact parallel. And he's not adopting, in fact, uh, the job, the whole point of the priest. Like the whole, the point of the sacrament of confession is the absolution, uh, that comes afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, Oh, David, I think maybe you're right. Yes, I did. Okay. So let's stop here. Pause for a second. That is. And cause Devorah was asking about this too earlier. So I did skip the bit. Sorry. Um, the stuffing, the stuffing in bit, uh, when the, ne- uh, the reason, that the Pope with whom we are speaking here is expecting the footfalls of Boniface is that when the next dude comes, the next dude gets shoved in and the old Pope gets packed in, uh, gets, gets stuffed down the hole. Uh, and then Boniface apparently is going to be there with his legs sticking up and his feet on fire. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was an undergrad, uh, taking my undergrad Dante course, it's the first time I ever read Dante. Um, our, my professor t- uh, was telling me that he had recently been to one of his first ever Italian Dante courses where he was he was or not courses, uh, conferences. Um, he went to Italy and attended a, a, a scholarly conference on Dante um, uh, among Italian scholars over there. And he was saying that the it was a week it was a week a weekend conference a two day conference, uh, and the entire he said the entire subject of the conference um, was debates on this passage specifically on the question of the words that Dante uses to describe which again sadly I've forgotten to quote here the English translation of the words that Dante uses to describe the pushing through of the popes into the whatever kind of caldera is underneath the, you know, baptismal font hole uh, that they're stuffed down into. Um, There was like this like hotly divided debate uh, between half of the room who were strong proponents of the understanding that the popes were getting packed in to a a small place and, and, and sort of compressed together and others that they were being pushed through into a bigger space. So like when the Pope is pushed through the the, the last Pope, um, does he like fall into a cavity um, or is he like jammed into a pot um, and packed in really tight? Um, and they apparently like <laughs> the Italian Dante scholars spent the entire weekend uh, debating that particular question. It all hinged on like two words. Um, but um, uh, anyway, 
Anyway, yeah, Devorah, I think that's, I, I kind of, I think it's more or less what happens, I think. Uh, Devorah says, I had an image of him falling directly from Minos head first and popping into the hole like Minos is hitting a hole in one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Minos, I think, has great aim. And it's it's interesting, Devorah, thinking about that in, uh, in uh, distinction to the suicides, right? Who remember when they fall, um, the emphasis was on like the randomness of the fall, like wherever they, they, you know, minus chucks them down and wherever they happen to fall, they, they take root. Right. Um, and the, the emphasis there was, a, was like, it's, you know, the sort of more arbitrary or apparently arbitrary anyway. Um, this certainly seems to be not arbitrary. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway. Um, so what um what does this mean? Well I what is the significance of the procession of popes um stuffed in head to feet? Well, one thing, and I don't think Dante says this explicitly. Um but it's hard for me to imagine that um, it's hard for me to imagine that the feet, the burning feet of the previous pope are going to be mercifully extinguished at this point, that his feet are only on fire so long as he's the one with his feet sticking out and that once he gets pushed through, his foot burning tor- torment is done. Um, I wouldn't think so. Um, we don't see... Have we seen any? The only... Sorry. Sorry, let me attempt to finish a sentence. Have we seen any examples of tormented sinners in hell whose suffering receives alleviation at some point, stable alleviation, an alleviation which is not itself part of the torment. If you see what I mean. Because um, I don't remember any. The only one that I was just kind of thinking about for a moment, the only counterexample I can think of, is the sodomites, the runners, right? But that's not exactly an alleviation of their suffering so much as a they'll suffer worse if they stand still, right? Um, they can make it easier for themselves by carrying on running. But again, the carrying on running is part of the, you know, part of their punishment, part of the perpetuation of their sin itself. So I, I, I'm not, I don't think that that counts as sort of an alleviation. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think, David, I do think that that's involved. The idea, David's talking about um, one pope following in, uh, as it were, the footsteps uh, of the other, um, and so getting pushed down adds to the punishment because the popes induce their successors to sin. I, I, I would have to think so. I would have to think that if the, if the torment meter of the previous pope who gets pushed down is changing, it's, it's going up, it's not going down. I don't think he's achieving some kind of relief of his suffering, I think it's going to be intensifying over time. But the other thing, David, that I couldn't help but remember uh, or think about, uh, which I'd never really thought about before, but um, 
being forced into a tight space to lie face to feet with somebody else it's not a happy situation to be in necessarily um but it's a lot less happy if the other person's feet are on fire right so are the feet of the previous pope actually burning the face of the pope uh that follows him um i i guess i'd have to say yes i suspect anyway again I, he doesn't say that explicitly but i i don't think i don't see any reason to suspect that the the foot fire is extinguished uh when they're uh when they're pushed through uh, or jammed down um yeah yeah um yeah um yeah so um the way in which that tracks David, as you're suggesting, of uh, like simony as a kind of perpetuating system, right? Um, that one of the evils of committing simony is that you are pervert perverting the office itself, which makes it therefore that much easier, um, uh, at the very least, that much easier for your successor to um, also be guilty of that same sin. Um, possibly even goes further and makes it difficult for your successor to forbear from that sin uh, because of the circumstances that have been created. Um, and so the way in which if they are kind of lined up in some, or even if they're stuffed together, you would think that the burning feet, uh, whatever kind of space they're being pushed down into, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hazard an opinion on that sensitive subject. Um, but anyway, um, I, in, in, however, however you, you bring it through, I think uh, it can't, it can't be helped. And it's certainly going to be am, uh, amplifying uh, the, uh, the suffering of others. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, transitional passage. Ah, Constantine, what wickedness was born, and not from your conversion, from the dower that you bestowed upon the first rich father. And while I sang such notes to him, whether it was his indignation or his conscience that bit him, he kicked hard with both his souls. I do indeed believe it pleased my guide. He listened always with such satisfied expression to the sound of those true words. Devorah, there's your commendation by Virgil, right? The silent approval of Virgil on uh, Dante's uh, pontifications, as it were, about simony. And then he gathered me in both his arms, and when he had me fast against his chest, where he climbed down before, climbed upward now, nor did he tire of clasping me until he brought me to the summit of the arch that crosses from the fourth to the fifth rampart. Um... Brief note on the dower of Constantine. Of course, the reference here is to the, the famous gift of Constantine. Constantine, the Roman Empire, a Roman emperor who converted to Christianity. Uh, this was the actual... I'm not... this. I'm not talking at all about historically what actually happened with Constantine, because that's not important. What is important is the medieval tradition about the gift of Constantine, which is what Dante is alluding to here. And the medieval tradition of the gift of Constantine is that when Constantine... The conversion of Constantine is seen as the turning point, the turning point when Christianity ceased to be the uh, the downtrodden, often kind of underground... 
uh, religion of the Roman Empire and became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Um, and again, but it's not the conversion. It's not that that is the problem. The problem is that, again, according to medieval tradition, Constantine gifted the church with vast uh, sums of money and tracts of land. Um, the conversion of Constantine was not only when the church became accepted and, you know, and became sort of the official religion, again, in medieval tradition, but that was a good thing. Um, but the gift of Constantine is not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's not a bad thing for him. Like it was a it was a good impulse on Constantine's part. Constantine isn't condemned for what he did, but there are many who make comments along these lines, saying that um, the gift of Constantine was a bad thing. Like in retrospect, that was a really bad idea. Um, a, a wealthy church is a problem and creates problems. Um, and again, Dante, far from unusual in, uh, in, uh, um, in kind of pointing that out or condemning that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Stephen, I like that. Stephen is still, still thinking about the, um, uh, the connection between the feet and the Gospels of Peace. I think the uh, kicking hard with both his souls, this image of him kind of futilely kicking his feet and not being able to do anything or go anywhere, right? Um, again, as this uh, uh, sort of inversion, again, of like, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, as Sarah was uh, was was quoting. Um, it's supposed to be like the feet are emphasized or connected with the gospel uh, because you go to bring the gospel to others and they now have lodged themselves. Right. The 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 result of their simony, right, the perpetuation of their simony is that they have they have lodged themselves uh, head down. They can't. No matter how they kick their feet, they can't move. They can't bring, um, just as they did not bring, uh, the, you know, peace to others. Uh, they just as they didn't wash anybody's feet, Michael, as you were re remembering. Uh, now they can't. Um, their feet are hot, and they um, uh, and they can't move. And we can see the sort of frustration there. Um, Virgil's commendation and this like the ascension of Dante here, right? Uh, Virgil clasping him in his arms, uh, clasping him against his chest, and uh, lifting him, carrying him up, um, back up onto the arch. Because uh, he does descend, this is the first of the, of the, the pockets that he's descended down into. Um, Nor did he tire of clasping me until he brought me to the summit of the arch. Um, I don't know what to make of this. Mostly because I don't know what to make of Virgil's role in this whole stanza. He's he's quiet. Dante does all the talking here, right? This is not one of those places very often where, uh, you know, as, as, as happens very often, I mean, um, where Virgil is explaining stuff, right? You know, like, here's who this is, and here's what his problem was, and let me teach you about why that's a big deal, right? I mean, as we've seen, that happens a lot uh, during, the course of, uh, during the course of this, but um, th we don't get that here, right? Dante's, Dante, it's Dante's all over this, right? If there's one sin, he's pretty clear on it, simony, uh, right? Um, and uh, the, problem, the problem with Boniface. Um, and... Uh, 
Um, and yeah, Stephen, that does make sense. It is specifically a Christian sin. Um, uh, it's 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 in that way, sort of outside Virgil's experience, right? Uh, where it is, where Dante has much personal experience with it, uh, uh, not of, you know, the the guilty kind, uh, but of the innocent victim kind, right? As he would say. Um, so yeah, maybe Gerald, as you were saying, maybe he doesn't really understand simony. I, I don't know. Like, I think he gets it. Like he, he knows a great deal about Christianity now, uh, and about the church now. Um, but, uh, even though he didn't when he was alive, um, but, but again, it's certainly in that way is sort of not odd that he should not be saying that, that it should not be Virgil who is explaining simony. Um, doesn't itself seem strange, but that's why I don't fully get this visual image um i don't understand why the in the ending of this i mean on the one hand it's it's like a kind of ascension right while the popes are going down and being pushed down further still dante is lifted up so we certainly have this sort of the reversal of the papal motion there um dante separating himself from the other popes um and this of course has very frequently happened dante sees these people and even when he's kind of implicated or or when things look bad or questionable um Nevertheless, at the end of the day, he's still the one who gets to move on and keep going um, and not remain there and be punished. Um, but Virgil's role in that. Um, and I mean, this is. We've seen Virgil protecting Dante, remember, you know, with his hands over his eyes, lest he look upon the Gorgon who may or may not be there, you know, Medusa, who may or may not be there. Um, uh, we've had him covering Dante from the stinging tail of Gerion, right? He's interposing his own um, incorporeal body between Dante and the tail of Gerion. Um, so we've had this kind of protective gesture, even even that embracing gesture uh, a couple times before. Um, but um, uh, But yet... Why here and how is that relevant here? Stephen is suggesting, you know, Dante moves on uh, with the help of someone else. He doesn't move on by his own power, bought or otherwise. So, again, Stephen, you're suggesting it as, again, a kind of reversal of like in in himself and what happens with him and to him here. He's sort of indicating or modeling um, the opposite. Right. Like here's here. Here's here's how it's meant to work, guys. Right. You don't try to enrich yourself. You like you are. You know, you are taken and, and, and you are lifted not on your own power um, uh, because you can't do it yourself. No. Um, yeah. No, and Serena, yeah. I I don't know what to make of Virgil's non-corporeal physical assistance. Right. I mean, it's this we get this. One could be forgiven for forgetting that Virgil does not have a physical body. Right. I mean, he seems to interact with Dante, even simple passages like I'm going to take off my belt and hand it to Virgil and he's going to take it and chuck it down into the abyss. Right. Even things like even moments like that, the two of them look equal on the same footing. Right. We do get reminders that Virgil is. A sh I mean, this is, in fact, one of those. Right. Why can't Dante go up once too steep for him? Right. But Virgil can make it because he's incorporeal. Um, so, okay, you know, he can just kind of work his way up the side because he doesn't have a body to weigh him down. He has Dante's body to weigh him down, but that's apparently not a problem. I don't know. I don't know. And yes, David, there's also the, I mean, Jerrion 
is also presumably incorporeal, but Dante can ride him. And and the centaurs, yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, or even the boat. I mean, the the the, the boundaries of physicality. This, by the way, I all I'll say, because I have no pithy conclusion to offer on this subject, all I will say is this seems to me a very interesting theme. Like, large theme. The question of corporeality and physicality in Inferno. Um, and this touches on several different elements, right? This On questions that we've been asking about um, the physicality of the tortures. Like, why is it that almost all of the sufferings of the people are, are rendered in these crudely physical ways? Uh, like, why, are, why, why is there that kind of apparent translation of a spiritual sin into a physical act? that we get consistently all this. So again, it's, it's a spiritual place and yet it's, it's physical in all of its manifestations. Um, where are the boundaries between the physical and the spiritual with Dante and Dante's body and Virgil's body and the boats that they ride in and the centaurs who give them rides, uh, uh, David, as you say, um, and what does that mean? What is the significance of physicality? Um, uh, in uh, you know, and then place things like, and how is, does this connect? What does this have to do with Jesus and the incarnation, which it seems to do with the parallel between Dante and Jesus and the whole crucifixion, Holy Saturday parallel thing that's going on here in Inferno? And remember things like the landslide that lets them climb. What's him, Dante, climb down because Virgil doesn't need it uh, down into the seventh circle as a result of Jesus's uh, arrival. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know, but I do know that that's a really interesting topic. It would be a good myth moot paper, Devora, though. I, the more I keep talking about that, the more it's beginning to sound like a good master's thesis instead of a good myth moot paper. Uh, but, um, cause it's a big topic for sure. A goodness. You could write a whole, uh, a whole doctoral dissertation on that. Um, but, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I'm sure there are lots of things that have already been written on this. Um, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean there's not something interesting still to be said, um, nor to discourage anyone else from doing it. So that's my hope. Again, as I've been kind of in suggesting all the way through, um, I am very much not full of answers when it comes to uh, Dante. But if I can maybe suggest some interesting questions uh, for people to continue to ask, well, then at least we've accomplished something. Okay, let's um, let's see how far we can get into Canto Twenty. Because I actually don't have all that much as far as volume of uh, of um, uh, passages that I wanted to discuss from Canto Twenty. Lots of landscape description in Canto Twenty. I mean, Italian landscape description. Anyway. I was already well prepared to stare below into the depth that was disclosed, where tears of anguished sorrow bathed the ground, and in the valley's circle I saw souls advancing, mute and weeping, at the pace that, in our world, holy processions take. As I inclined my head still more, I saw that each, amazingly, appeared contorted between the chin and where the chest begins. They had their faces twisted toward their haunches, and found it necessary to walk backward, because they could not see ahead of them. Okay, so this is another one of those passages. This one and the next, this pocket and the next one are two of those places where 
we get a like it takes a while to disclose with it. We don't lead with the sin and then describe it. We lead with the description of the punishment and then eventually mention what the sin actually is. Kind of like we saw that model for the first time uh, in uh, in in the third circle, right? With the with with gluttony. Um, okay, so first let's focus on what he sees. Souls advancing, mute and weeping at the pace that in our world holy processions take. So they're walking slowly, right? They're sort of like you're imagining them walking slowly with a, a kind of stately uh, um, tread, right? Um, the souls are weeping. They're mute and weeping. They're experiencing anguished sorrow, we're told, and they're mute. They don't speak. They can't speak. And they're moving along at a slow processional uh, uh, pace. But he kind of buries the lead here, right? Um, the amazing thing is that their heads are twisted around backwards. Um, yeah. Their heads are twisted around backwards. Um, their faces twisted toward their haunches and found it necessary to walk backward because they could not see ahead of them. And of course, he goes on to the the graphic description of their tears running down their backs uh, and down the cleft of their buttocks. Right. Uh, you know, it's very descriptive as to uh, how the, the tear their tears falling behind them instead of going down their face and onto their breast it goes their tears go, d dribble down their backs because their heads are twisted around backwards so the weeping the weeping is a major emphasis the muteness is a major emphasis which certainly seems relevant once we learn uh who these dudes were um but um and of course the turning of the head around backwards so now we get a new context there for the holy procession right um, holy processions. Why are they walking with a sort of slow shuffling gait? Because they're walking backwards. Um, there is an... This is deeply... Un, there's a violation of the integrity of the human body here. Right? Um, they are walking slowly... Because walking backward is awkward. Now, on the one hand, if your head were twisted around 180 degrees, it'd be a lot easier to walk backward than it is now, right? Walking backward wouldn't be nearly so awkward if you could see where you were going the whole time. Um, but still, the point is, human body not designed that way, right? It's still, it's still awkward uh, to, uh, uh, to, to walk when your body is pointing the wrong direction. Um, Serena, I am. Serena's asking lots of questions about magic in particular, which, of course, Serena, I'm not surprised by. Serena's currently writing her dissertation on magic rituals. Um, but I'd be careful here because I'm not very convinced that Dante's super interested in magic in this circle, really, at all. Um, yeah, 
I'm not. I don't think he's interested in magic here. Um, I, I understand. I I like the connections to your own research. I totally. I I am not surprised, uh, and I can see them. And I'm not saying that there's no possible connection here, but I don't think it is. I don't think we see much exam much. I don't see much reason to believe that it is sorcery itself, or black magic, or perverted rites, or. Um, you know, Black Sabbaths or something like that that's being condemned. That's not what he describes. That's not the pattern that we see. We'll see more in a minute. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, right, exactly, Serena. Okay, well, hang on a second. Well, let's, let's keep going. So they're looking, they're turning around. So we have this literal twisting of the human body, right? It's they're not these people are not functioning the way that they are supposed to function. Their bodies are turned around in the opposite way to their heads. Um, and notice the way that it he describes it. That each I saw that each amazingly appeared contorted between the chin and where the chest begins. Okay, there's an Italian word for neck, which he could have used. Why is he so indirect there? Why like? contorted between the chin and where the chest begins. They had their faces twisted toward their haunches and found it necessary to walk backward. Um, there. Here's my theory. My theory as to why he doesn't mention necks there. Why he's evasive about the neck. I think the reason he's evasive about the neck um, is that to talk about their neck, it's a question of agency. They had their heads twisted toward their haunches, right? Their head, their faces have been twisted around backwards. If you're talking about the neck, it might make it sound like they did that, right? Like, you know, and then like they were twisting their necks around. They're the ones doing the action. Right, they had their faces twisted toward their haunches. Um, the area between chin and chest appeared contorted. Again, it's an action being done to them. So, like the twisting around of head and body is something that's being done to them. The walking is their volition. They found it necessary, as a consequence of the twisting of the head, to walk backward, because they could not see ahead of them. So it seems like this, there's, there's this separation between the twisting of the head and the walking, right? The walking is what they have to do now in the conditions in which they find themselves. But the twisting of the head is definitely a condition in which they find themselves and which they, they didn't do, they didn't choose. Um, and again, this seems to me important because people's actions contributing to their torment is a thing that we've seen many times, right? Um, if we saw people who were like constantly twisting and like contorting their own necks to turn their heads around backwards, that would be something. Uh, I mean, that would be a little, a little bit unusual, but so have been many of the things that we've seen. Um, but again, that's not what we get here. So what does this mean? What are we talking about here? Um, we still have, it still has not yet been revealed what their sin is. 
May God so let you, reader, gather fruit from what you read, and now think for yourself how I could ever keep my own face dry when I beheld our image so nearby and so awry that tears down from the eyes bathed the buttocks running down the cleft. Of course I wept, leaning against a rock along that rugged ridge, so that my guide told me, Are you as foolish as the rest? Here pity only lives when it is dead, for who can be more impious than he who links God's judgment to passivity? Finally, a hint, anyway, at what their sin was. Um, May God so let you, reader, gather fruit from what you read. Oh man, whenever Dante addresses the reader, I always get edgy. Um, And now think for yourself how I could ever keep my own face dry. Why do I get edgy when Dante addresses the reader? Whenever Dante says that he wants us to take a particular point, right? Um, You know, whenever he points at something that he's saying and says... May you understand this and profit from understanding this. I always feel like I'm under so much pressure. I'm like, oh man, I'm supposed to get this. What happens if I don't get this? It's really bad, right? Um, uh, it creates this, uh, I don't know, I find, my, I find this, intense, uh, this intense readerly pressure. But anyway, um, think for yourself how I could ever keep my own face dry when I beheld our image so nearby and so awry that tears down from the eyes bathed the buttocks running down the cleft. Of course I wept, leaning against a rock along that rugged ridge. Now hang on a second. Let's go back a a minute. Because there are two things I wanted to look at briefly in this first passage. The second, well, okay, I did it first. The first the second that we get, the first that I discussed, is the image of the people, the twisted head, the people with their heads twisted around backwards. But the other, look at the actions that Dante does. I was already well prepared to stare below into the depth that was disclosed. So he's, look, he's looking down, right? Where tears of anguish sorrow bathed the ground. And in the valley circle I saw souls advancing. As I inclined my head still more. He's crane. What's he doing? He's craning his neck isn't he? Right? Dante does draws all this attention to what he's doing with his own head. Right? First looking down, right, into the pit below him. And then he's he's got to incline his head still more. He's got to, he's got to crane his neck in order to see them properly. Right? And then he's uh, he now having control Having contorted his own neck, he's now weeping, like they're weeping, and asking, how can I... And he's leaning his head against a rock. we got more, more, more leaning going on, you know, more... It's not a contortion. Leaning against a rock isn't a contortion. It's obviously not the same. Um, but once again, we have Dante gently kind of caught up in implication uh, with the folks that he's looking at, and Virgil rebukes him this time, Devorah. He's not having any of it this time. Right? Um, are you as foolish as the rest? Um, yeah. Are you as foolish as the rest, Dante? So, what did these people do? What did these people do? How did they link God's judgment to passivity?
it will only be clearly spelled out when we get to the exemplars. Um, but yeah, these are diviners. These are prophets, false prophets, presumably. Um, people who predict the future. Um, and Virgil immediately goes to the theological problem with this. Who can be more impious than he who links God's judgment to passivity? Who claims that they know what God is getting, and that God has no choice, right? Like, it's just, you know, people have said this is what's going to happen, and God's like, well, okay, I'll just do it, because you said it has to be, so, all right. Um, there's a presumption, uh, a presumptuousness there. There's a near blasphemy there in linking God's judgment to passivity. To passivity. The idea of determinism, ultimately, as I mentioned before when we were talking about the popes, um, is um, uh, this is this is the sin of the people there, basically, or at least that's what that's what Virgil points to, right? Um, and there are Serena getting back to the whole Simon Magus and the Magus half and the si and the Simon half, right? Um, the uh, the diviners, these false prophets, are also putting. You know, remember, one of the things that we've been noticing all the way through Circle Eight, all the way through the Malabolgia, um, is that ultimately all of the sins, all of the fraud involved, is not just fraud in the sense of telling lies, right? Putting forth a false face and concealing what is true. Um, it's all been about defrauding by committing fraud. It's, it's, it's been about money. I, I don't want to oversimplify, but money has been involved every single time, right? Um, even in the seducing and pimping, money was involved. Um, uh, and flattery, certainly, money was involved. And simony, obviously, money is involved. Um, and even here, um, because these, these, these people are, you know, making their careers and reputations uh they're 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 uh they're not being fortune tellers for free um yeah yeah um yeah yeah good yeah serena's saying um that's why the church around this time was deciding to ban the practice of astrology not in general but only if it A, denied God's power, B, denied free will, or C, ripped people off financially. Yes, yes, exactly. Astrology, man, astrology has been a um, vexed, vexed topic through the whole history of Christendom. Um, on the one hand, condemnations of astrology are strong and old, in the history of the church. Um, St. Augustine, for instance, really, really strong on the astrology is wrong uh, 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 um, train. Uh, he speaks against astro astrology very, very strongly. So you've got one of the, you know, one of the four Latin fathers who spoke in completely unequivocal terms um, about the wickedness of astrology and attempting to, you know, predict the future through astrological projections. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, the idea, the abstract idea 
that the future is written in the stars, that God's providential plan for um, for the the universe is contained within the is kind of encoded into the universe was a really attractive idea, which fit with people's concepts of fate, free will, and predestination with Boethian concepts uh, of you know and and of uh, of of you know foreknowledge and and providence. Um, so it might seem like why is this a controversy? Like especially Saint Augustine was pretty clear. He's like, look, don't do this whole astrology thing. It's wrong for all these deep, you know, for all these clear theological reasons. It's it's not only a pagan, uh, which of course uh, in Saint Augustine's day, which was the three hundreds, was a more present deal uh, than it was later on, exactly. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, he was, on the one hand, just trying to separate them, like, you know, Christians don't follow in these, you know, gr- these Greco-Roman traditions. Um, but but also theologically, you know, for these same reasons. It denies free will. It, it, it uh, denies the freedom of the will of God, even. So, like, yeah, like, no way, you know, let's, can we just do out the, the, the astrology? But again, no, it wasn't that simple because, again, this idea that God does know the future, right, and that God's, it's kind of connected to the doctrine of the two books, right, Um, which says God wrote two books, right, the Bible and the world. The, The Bible and nature are the two books that God wrote. And so... The idea is um, God wrote about the future, you know, about his providential plans for the future in both of his books. Uh, And so, therefore, it's not impious. It's not um, blasphemous. uh, It's not merely pagan uh, to look to, to study the natural world and attempt to draw conclusions uh, from it about the future. So again, that's it's one of the reasons why it kind of uh, dies hard. Um, but um, anyway, so... And yes, uh, as Serena was mentioning, Dante, astrology was super popular uh, in Florence at the time. It was a major issue, um, a major contemporary issue. And as Berlini states very strongly, uh, Dante rather conspicuously says very, very little about astrology. I mean, if he were going to speak against determinism or against fortune telling, you know, attempt, you know, claiming to see the future and its links to determinism and denying the freedom of the will and the will of God. You know, if 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 he had material to work with, plenty of material to work with, all he had to do was start condemning uh, the actions of the you know the actions and the words and the teachings of the astrologers, the contemporary many contemporary astrologers there in Italy, um, and he doesn't do that. It, yeah, a little bit, but not much. I mean, there are a couple astrologers, contemporary astrologers, who get mentioned there at the end of the canto, but um, but he doesn't, and instead he focuses on. Uh, uh, fortune telling like prophet figures um, from mythology 
uh, and specifically from not just from mythology, but from classical epic poetry tradition. He goes back to Statius and to Ovid and to Lucan and to Virgil, the big four of the Latin world, big four epic poets of the Latin world, uh, and uh, invokes fortune tellers from those four works rather than from contemporary Italian, than leaning on contemporary Italian history, which would have been plenty. And of course, Berlini is also, um, uh, uh, is also, uh, talks about the early post Dantean tradition that Dante, one of Dante's Italian commentators in the next generation, um, cause Dante got started getting commentaries immediately, like with people who were still alive when he was alive. Um, one of the, one of the first generation commentators on Dante, um, said that claimed that Dante himself kind of dug astrology and was himself, uh, at least mildly tainted by the sin that he's describing here. Um, and so, you know, is that part of why he doesn't, you know, take more shots at Italian astrology? Cause he was kind of cool with it. Um, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion about this myself. Uh, I, I am not sure. And remember, as always, especially when I'm disagreeing with people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to Dante, grain of salt. Um, but within, within the state of my own ignorance, I this Canto doesn't feel to me like he's dodging that. I, I don't I don't I don't see that. I don't feel that here. Um, I don't see his emphasis on the classical epic poets as an evasion of the predestination thing of the, you know, of the, of the determinism issue associated with astrology, uh, uh, with astrology specifically and, you know, fortune telling and, and, and the foretelling of the future in general. Um, I, it, it can be read that way, but it's, it's, it, that just does not feel to me like a compelling reading of this stanza. Uh, and, and here's another thing, the business with his neck in these stanzas, right? He not only, uh, I mean, if he is implicated, if he is connected, he's fessing up to it. He's not hiding it. He's fessing up to it, right? Um, the connection between himself and these folks, the sympathy, the pity that he feels for them, um, the fellow feeling he expresses uh, as he looks upon them and is rebuked by Virgil for that, um, it just, just does not strike me as him as this does. This, it's just one of the reasons why this does not feel to me like a, a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of moment um, in um, uh, in this. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Oh, and Serena, you're absolutely right. Serena is also talking about the, uh, the, the overlap between the science of astronomy and which, of course, they wouldn't is not how they would have said it, um, and the, you know, art of astrology. There's those. There's not a sharp dividing line. I mean, nobody's gonna, um, you know, nobody's gonna mistake an astronomical, you know, uh, uh, like a modern astrophysicist 
with you know a tabloid astrologer right those two things don't look at all like in the modern world they look much more alike uh, in the medieval world, very, very much more alike. It's all about the careful scientific study. Um, part of what the impulse of astrology was, was understanding how the heavens worked. Um, all it takes is one further step, right? First you observe how the heavens move and how they operate. And then it's just one small step to say, and those things are significant, right? And we can draw conclusions from the observations that we make when we're making those. So there is, um, there's not even a leap. There's not even a wall of any kind between astronomy and astrology. It's, it's almost like, um, theoretical and applied science, basically, right? Astrology is just applied astronomy and astronomy is largely often motivated in order to apply it in that way, right? Like it's why we pay so much time looking at the stars because we do believe that the heavens, um, uh, and, 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 and especially the way I remember my explanations about the heavens and, uh, and the movements of the heavens and, and I get this, it really should like up there in, you know, above the circle of the moon where things are unchanging and perfect. If we can see and understand how God, the motions that God has set there and the way that God has set them, we should come to understand something more about God, which maybe we can understand better by looking at that than we can by looking around um, you know, the fallen world around us here. Um, so anyway, um, yes. So yes, absolutely. Um, uh, we can, one of the things Serena, that we can say about that is you can kind of get a whiff from afar of Dante's interest in astrology by all of those astronomical passages that we've been looking at. Like when he tells the time by telling us where Pisces is and everything. And, and in that passage we were looking at before um, it, it's those things are intimately connected. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, yes. And then you get Serena, you're also right. Uh, and I knew you were going to be all over this stand, this canto. Uh, um, you're also right that there is a profound connection between divining and writing poetry, especially when your poem is about an eternal future afterlife. Absolutely, yes. Um, and notice the way that this gets kind of brought in. Uh, let me let me jump forward a second. Virgil's really long speech about when he tells the story of Manto the Sorceress, right? Um, and Manto the Sorceress, this is important. This is personally relevant to Virgil in two ways. One, he is from Mantua. He's talking about his hometown, right? For one thing, uh, uh, the foundation of Mantua named after Manto. Uh, and he's telling like the real story of Manto and her connection with the founding of Mantua. Right. So, again, it's personally relevant to him. And so, therefore, we get the first connection between this sort of uh, fortune telling sorcery of Manto and Virgil himself. Right. The Mantuan, the most famous of all the Mantuans. Um, but more um, at the end of his story about what happened with Manto and Mantua, he says, therefore I charge you, if you ever hear a different tale of my town's origin, do not let any falsehood gull the truth. If ever, Dante, you hear anybody tell you a different story about Manto, you make sure. Don't be taken in. 
where uh little quiz where do you think one might hear a different story in the aeneid virgil is correcting himself here in his poem he told a different story of manto and the forming of mantua right so this is virgil correcting the aeneid as berolini points out more explicitly than he did there are other places where he's pointing out contradictions right or where um you know, we are made aware of contradictions or, or sort of, you know, corrections of the Aeneid uh, over the course. Of, but this is um, extremely, um, uh, uh, this is extremely um, conspicuous, right? Virgil talking about, Virgil correcting his own, po his own poem was wrong. Um, so again, so Serena, coming back to your point about the connection between uh, poetry, divining, and writing poetry, um, Virgil was a false prophet, right? Well, a false historian. He was not looking backwards. He was look. He was not looking forwards. He was looking backwards, right, at the history. And he was. And he told the wrong story. So, um, when poets lie, which oh wait, they do that all the time. It's kind of their job, right? That's what you do when you write fiction. You lie. Um, uh, which, of course, remember Gerion, right? And Dante's own concern about his his commedia um, and swearing by his commedia. Anyway, and I, O oh Master, that which you have spoken convinces me and so compels my trust that others' words would only be spent coals. Um, I am so convinced and compelled. I trust you so much that I am never going to believe you again. <laughs> It's essentially what he's saying there, right? Um, you, Virgil the Shade, I believe, and so therefore I will never believe Virgil the Poet ever again. Um, but tell me if among the passing souls you see some spirits worthy of our notice, because my mind is bent on that alone. Oh, good. Yeah, let's not think about anything else whenever we do. Um, yeah. Um, yes, Stephen, uh, Virgil's old boss would be down here, the witch who summoned his shade. Yeah, I would think so. I would think that this is where Erichtho would end up, though you never can tell. Like, sometimes Minos throws you a curveball, right? But uh, um, but I would think so. Um, yeah. So, Leanne, exactly. It's really Dante that's correcting Virgil. So Dante, in his poem, is correcting the Aeneid, but he's not just correcting the Aeneid. He is, in his poem, having Virgil <laughs> correct the Aeneid and then saying... I will always believe this new version because of the great trust and faith I have in Virgil, <laughs> right? So, um, talk about having your head twisted around backward. Um, uh, so, Stephen, what an interesting question. Is the ringing of necks associated with divination at all? I don't think so. I think you wrung the necks of birds when you sacrifice birds. Um, but birds, the connection between birds and divination is not usually sacrificial, but rather observing their flight. Uh, I mean, in, in traditional uh, pagan divination. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess if you were reading their entrails, Serena, you'd wring their necks first. But that's, again, but that's not the, I mean... You more often, birds, you tend to observe their actions and, um, you know, livestock like bulls and sheeps, you tend to read their innards. I mean, at least that's not exclusively, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Exactly, Stephen. Uh, I, I was remembering in Leviticus, the birds' necks are wrung for the sacrifices as well, as, as well as I believe in when birds were sacrificed in Greco-Roman tradition as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think so. So um, circling back, gosh, is it conspicuous that I'm like walking backwards in these <laughs> slides and craning my head around to look back at the things we already talked about so frequently? I'm uncomfortable now. But anyway, um, I, I'm not far enough back yet. Um, now that we know more about what the sin is, back to the punishment, right? Back to their torments. Um, here it's even easier, I think, to see um, how this is a perpetuation, right? Um, they are meant to... Uh, they were craning their necks around in a direction they weren't supposed to go. They were claiming to be able to see the future. They were going past. They were claiming to have vision that would see forward beyond what humans uh, really should be able to claim to see. And their punishment is to have their faces turned backwards. That by itself looks like a reversal rather than a continuation, right? Because you tried to look forward instead, I'm going to twist your head around backwards and make you look backwards instead to reverse what you did, um, which is not the pattern that we've generally seen. And that would seem to be even further supported by what I was emphasizing about the, the um, passive, like, having their head, their agency and the having their heads turned, right? They're not craning their necks anymore. Now their necks are being craned for them, right? Um, but in the end, I actually don't think this is a reversal. I think that this is a continuation um, that what's, again, what's important is what they are doing that is in the walking backward. Um, that I don't think he is saying, you who claim to see forward are, shall now as punishment see backward instead. I think that this image of them with their heads turned around, um, their, um, uh, what's the, uh, it's in the next one. Yes. I beheld our image so awry, right? Um, it's the distortion of the human form that gets to him, that makes him weep, right? Um, the distortion is like the act of foreseeing, the act of divination, that is a distortion, um, a distortion beyond of like humans are not supposed to do this, and they are are they're not walking forward into the future. This is like the reality that was underlying it, right? They're not looking for. They are claiming to be this sort of like semi divine power, the semi divine ability, right? I am looking forward to. Uh, uh, I am looking forward into the future, and I shall tell you what shall be. I, I shall. Uh, to use Chaucer's famous phrase, I shall peer into God is privite, um, which, of course, is also a dirty joke in Chaucer, because Chaucer. But anyway, um, I'm going to peer into God is privite and tell you the secret things of God. Um, so they are sort of posturing themselves in life in this sort of quasi-divine uh, position. But in fact, they're not greater than divine. They're less than human, in fact, as we've seen so many times with so many of the sinners. Um, the posture that they put themselves in is actually a wrenching of their posture, um, a, a wrenching of their being, um, and the shambling backwards, where they claim to be going forward into the future and saying that they know what is to come. In fact, they're 
you know, staggering along backwards. Um, that's what they were always doing is it wasn't true. It didn't work like they were not. They did not know the future. They could not uh, succeed in, as Virgil says, um, linking God's judgment to passivity. God's judgment was not passive, uh, even if they tried to depict it that way. Well, it's um, yes, good. Exactly. Stephen says God can see past, present, future all at once. Uh, they're not God. And so uh, trying to do what God does make them twist horribly. Rather, they have been twisted now. Um, their physical twisting now reflects the inward twisting that they were already doing before. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so. Okay. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, we should stop. I'm, it's. I've. We. We're going late here tonight. Um, I almost finished what I wanted to talk about here in Canto Twenty. Uh, I didn't get to the classic exemplars, but maybe we'll do that next time uh, and kind of wrap this up and move forward. But anyway, thank you so much. I'll try to get my head on straight and move forward next time, <laughs> at least. Uh, and hey. I didn't get cut off in the middle this time. So thank you so much, everybody, uh, for joining me again tonight. And don't forget, I will see you. Don't believe the schedule. I will see you next week. Change of plans for the good, and I'll be here next week. So thanks, everybody, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye now.